This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 1 is where we find ourselves in our uh, series uh, entitled Romans. I know it's super uh, catchy, but uh, we're just going verse by verse through the book of Romans together. We find ourselves in a difficult passage of Scripture this morning. We're really getting into uh, the heavy stuff of Romans chapter 1. And so uh, we're we're here this morning, and I want to provide a lot of caveats before we ever even touch uh, the actual text here this morning of of how we need to process through this, how we process through biblical truth. And so uh, I want to encourage you, there's going to be some parts in here where you might feel uncomfortable. Just just stay there, process through the uncomfortableness, uh, and and understand what the Bible says. And so I want to encourage you with that here today. Um, Today's message is definitely not politically correct. Today's message definitely would not be popular in the society in which we live today. Yet we we never have a desire to be uh, socially popular. We have a great burning desire to be biblically accurate. And so uh, we're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture this morning, Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 18. We'll read down through verse number 27 here this morning. Uh, If you have the Hui Kala app on your mobile device, you can click on today's uh, series, Romans. Click on today's message. There's a button that says fill in notes. You can follow along with everything we're going to cover today. All the scriptures we're going to quote uh, will be on the, the app there for you, or just grab a sheet of paper and jot down some thoughts as we go through this passage this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they, gl- they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto, uncor- unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another Men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Now we're taking a look at today what the Bible says about marriage and human sexuality. Uh, what actually constitutes marriage? Uh, what is appropriate sexual relationships in, uh, according to the Bible here today? And before we do that, before we get into this, I really want to give a lot of different caveats. Now this applies to today's message, but also applies to the rest of the Bible It applies to the content and the context of today's message, but also applies to the content and context of the way that you and I live our lives. And so some some kind of ground rules, I guess you could say, that we're going to lay before we ever even touch the text this morning. First and foremost, the Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. What the Bible says is what the Bible says. And you and I can either obey or disobey. What we cannot do is change it. What we cannot do is make it uh, fit our lifestyle or the way that we want to view life. The Bible stands the way that it is. Either you and I will obey it or disobey it. I was talking to a man several weeks ago, and he goes, well, what do we do about the parts of the Bible that we're not correct on? And I said, for example, what? Uh, Because if there's an area where we're not correct, we have one option, get it right. And so uh, he said, well, you can't really believe that what we believe on the Bible is 100% true, like 100%. And I said, I absolutely do. Because if there's an area where we're wrong, we have to change to obey the Bible. And so again, if we're wrong somewhere, we need to make it right because the Bible is our final authority. We don't do what we do because it's the way that we've always done it. Uh, We don't do it the way that we do because it has to do with 
church tradition or the, the type of church that I grew up in versus the type of church that you grew up in. It comes down to what does the Bible say? And we have to obey that. Now, when we disagree with the Bible, it's important to know that we disagree with God because the Bible is the word of God. And if you have a problem with today's message, I'm not going to take it personally, okay? Because if you don't like what I'm getting ready to tell you today from the Bible, your problem doesn't lie with me. Your problem lies with God. He's the one that said it. I didn't write it. I just recite it. Uh, it's not my job to, uh, to, to do anything other than to tell you what God has said. And so, again, when people look at the Bible, they go, well, I don't really like that. Then their problem is not with you or I. The problem is with God. Now, when we disagree with God, we suppress the truth to make our own version of the truth. Now, this becomes problematic because it's exactly what Romans chapter 1, verse number 18 says, that all ungodliness and unrighteousness and those who hold down the truth in unrighteousness, that phrase, hold the truth in unrighteousness, means to suppress or to push down, to say, hey, that's not really uh, appropriate for today. Hey, things are different now than the way they were in Bible times, and so we don't have to do things the same way. And so when we disagree with the Bible, we have to make up our own version of the Bible to make it so that we can do what we want to do. And we can't do that. We have to, to let the Bible stand. Now, you will find that the Bible is a very uncomfortable book. It's going to tell you often that you are wrong. And you can either change or not change. Again, obedience or disobedience to God's Word. But that what you cannot do is you cannot change what God's Word says. But again, we live in a society today where truth is fluid. Truth can change uh, at a whim. I don't really like that. That makes me feel uh, bad. And so I'm going to change this to make, it, make me feel better. We can't do that because God's word has already spoken and it is what it is. Uh, when unbelievers or non-Christians disagree with the Bible, they have been blinded by Satan. This is really important to understand from the outset. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it's hidden to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If there's people that don't know God, that disobey God, that live a lifestyle in rebellion to the word of God, they have been blinded to the truth of the Bible by Satan himself, the Bible says. Now, this is really important that you and I understand this before we go any further in today's message. Today's message, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about human sexuality. We're going to talk about how homosexuality is a sin, uh, how any type of sex outside of marriage is a sin, and we're going to take a look at what biblical marriage looks like. Now, it's really important that you and I understand from the jump that people who live a lifestyle in opposition to the Bible, they are not our enemies. We're not against a movement. We're not against a group of people. These people are not our enemy. These people are souls that Jesus died for who have believed a lie. For every person who's caught in false religion, fake versions of Christianity, who have believed a false gospel, these people are not our enemies. There are souls that Jesus died for that are starving for the truth. We are not against them. It, the Bible says we fight not against flesh and blood. My problem is not with my neighbor or my coworker or anything like that. My problem is with the devil and his false version of the truth that he has propagated. And so we need to understand that unchristians, non-believers, People who even are haters of God, they are not our enemy. They're those who have not yet found the beauty of Jesus Christ and the truth. Next, we have to stand for the truth, but we have to do it with much love and grace. We cannot compromise what the Bible says, even if it makes people feel uncomfortable. I can't say that wrong is right and right is wrong, regardless of how it might make someone feel. But what I can do is I can stand for truth with a whole lot of love and a whole lot of grace. I, I, I can't be condescending. I can't be ugly. I can't be mean. I can't be nasty. I just have to say the truth, but I have to say it with a lot of love and grace. Did you know that the majority of the people who would, would practice an LGBT-style life lifestyle they automatically believe that Christians are hateful, ugly, mean, unkind, and hate their guts. Automatically. 
The majority of them have never met a kind, caring, compassionate, loving Christian that says, hey, how are you? Tell me your story. I'd like to try to get to know you better. They've never experienced that before. So that's a, it's a sad thing that they've never met Christians who can be kind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 14 says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. First of all, Ephesians 4, 14 says this, Christians, we can't waffle on the things that are going on in society today. We can't be hot one day and cold the other day. We can't say this is a sin one day and it's not a sin the next. We got to be firmly rooted in something. And we can't be thrown about by every wind of truth because there are people that are waiting to deceive you. There's movements in our world today that are set up specifically to draw you and to draw your children away from the truth into error. And the Bible says that we can't do that. But verse 15 goes on in Ephesians chapter 4 to say this, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We can't waffle and go back. We need to be more like Jesus. How do we do that? By speaking the truth in love. And so I want to encourage you to check your heart when it comes to your attitude towards other people. Some of us, myself included sometimes, we get really excited about always being right and other people being wrong. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not the heart of Jesus to go out and prove how everybody else is wrong and how you're always right. It is the heart of Jesus to love people and encourage them towards truth. Jesus didn't compromise the truth, but he was willing to give grace. John chapter 1, verse number 14, is a powerful verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as it were the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. It's probably, probably 12 years ago now, I was reading through the book of John, and I've read, I've read John chapter 1 at least hundreds of times in my life, if not more. Hundreds and hundreds of times I've read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word became uh, flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when I read that, have you ever been reading through the Bible, you read a verse that you read a hundred times, but that one time it just like, boom, like, whoa, where did that come from? And it was just like you, it, it just came alive and popped alive. And I saw a phrase that I had read hundreds of times in my life, but at that moment it gripped the depths of my soul, full of grace and truth. And you know what? Because I like to be right, I always like to be on the side of truth, I really was a crusader for right, a crusader for truth, but I wasn't much of a crusader for grace. Man, I was ready to light somebody up when they had been done wrong, but giving grace, that wasn't really me. And again, we can excuse our own sinful condition by saying, that's just not how God made me. That's not in my personality. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. He never compromised the truth to give grace, but he always gave grace, but never at the expense of truth. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that. I want to be the person that when somebody's wrong, I can give them lots of grace, but I can also at the same time give them lots of truth in a gracious way, because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't condemn others, but he also didn't condone them either. John chapter 8, we find a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. She got dragged out into the city square to be stoned because that's what the law said that should happen. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do we do this when we caught her in the act of adultery? And what did Jesus say? Hey, he, he who was without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, everybody left. And Jesus asked the woman who had been caught in adultery, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't have any. And Jesus made a powerful, powerful statement. Neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. Hey, I'm not going to throw rocks at you for what you've done, but you can't continue to live this way. And you see there is so much wisdom in one sentence, one sentence, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, that there was grace and there was truth. Hey, I'm not going to throw rocks at you for the way that you live, but you can't continue to live this way because it's in opposition to the word of God. So while you and I can't condemn other people for the way that they live or the lifestyle that they choose, we also at the same time don't have to condone it either. So there's a, there's a fine line there. We'll take a look at that a little bit later uh, in this message. Next, we need to remember that our own sin is just as offensive to God as the sin of others. 
It's easy for us to be single-issue Christians where we just pick out one thing that we rally against and crusade against, and it's always something that we ourselves don't struggle with, right? I've never seen anybody take on a crusade against pride. I've never seen anybody make signs up on the side of the street and say, down with pride, and get a bullhorn and scream and yell at people as they drive past about their pride. I've never seen that before. Maybe it's happened, I've never seen it, though. It's always easy to grab those sins that we can condemn other people for, yet never take a look in the mirror at our own sin. Jesus said this, hey, if your brother's got a speck in his eye, it's okay to help him, but make sure you take a look at the beam that you got in your own eye first. Now, he didn't say you shouldn't help your brother. He just said, make sure that you yourself have your heart clean before you can help other people. It's it's always interesting to me that people who want to rail against homosexuality oftentimes are steeped in pornography or living with their girlfriend or have been unfaithful to their spouse and things like that. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Dial it back a notch. And realize that your own sin before God is just as offensive as the sin of everyone else. So again, i got to make sure that my heart stays clean. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Great promise, because here's what, what Paul says to the church at Corinth. All of us are sinners, and if you get nothing else out of today's message, hear me on this, okay? All of us have sinned against God. I have, you have. It doesn't matter what we've done or how bad it is or who's seen it. God has seen it all, and we're all guilty before God for our sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you and I have sinned against God, we're going to die one day. The book of Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. Every single one of us will be judged before God one day for the sins that we have committed. And the Bible says there's one sentence for those who have sinned against God. You're going to die and go to hell. That's what we deserve. All of us, myself included. But the good news in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died and paid for my sin and paid for yours so that we don't have to die and go to hell. All of our sins can be forgiven. Not because we've been good, but because God has been gracious and sent his son to die in our place. You see, you were supposed to die. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died on our behalf. And anyone, man, woman, boy, or girl that comes to Jesus Christ and says, I have been wrong, and I believe that Jesus can save me from my sin, can be born again or saved. Jesus says no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only way to go to heaven is to make sure that you have been saved. Being saved is not joining a church, it's not being baptized, it's not coming to the front, it's not raising your hand, it's not having a religious experience. It's about faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And repentance. I have been wrong, but I want to be right. And anyone who comes to Jesus in faith and repentance can be saved. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you've been saved, please understand The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth. They were one of the most wicked churches in all of biblical history. (laughs) Angela and I traveled the United States uh, prior to starting Huicala with our our, our kids. Crisscrossed the United States three different times. Went to huge towns, small towns, anywhere we could to tell people, hey, we're starting a church in Hawaii, could you help us? And there were a couple of times we were driving through, it was usually towns in the south, where there was a Corinth Baptist church. It's just like, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> the Church of Corinth was a bad, 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 bad church. Like Berean Baptist Church, okay, I'll give you that, you know. Uh, but the Corinth Baptist Church, bad idea, because Corinth was a wicked, wicked church. But here's what Paul said to them. Hey, some of you used to live these wicked, idolatrous lifestyles, but you've been saved. You've been born again, and you're no longer under that. I think you and I, when we lack compassion for sinners that are trapped in sin, just need to remember where we came from. I just need to remember, if it weren't for the grace of God, I would be stuck in a wicked, sinful lifestyle, given completely over to idolatry as well. But Jesus saved me from my sin. 
The Bible also tells us that we're commanded to love and serve everyone in the name of Jesus, and hatred is the opposite of the gospel. I'm commanded by the Word of God to love and serve everyone. And if there's a shred of hatred in my heart, I do not know Jesus. First John tells us that. John says, If any man say he loved God but hates his brother, the love of God is not in him at all. There's no hatred in my heart towards anyone. And again, please understand, if you decide to be a biblical Christian and stand for what the Bible stands for when it comes to sexuality, you're going to be called a bigot, a hate monger. Oh, you get so much hatred towards people like that. I, I detest the use of the word homophobia or transphobia to make it seem like we're fearful in some way uh, of someone that, that lives in opposition to the Bible. I'm not scared of anybody. I don't hate anybody. I love everyone. And I want everyone to know the love of Jesus. So again, we need to make sure that there's so much love, kindness, care, compassion towards people that we never can be accused of hatred. Oh, Anthony, he's a bigot and a hate monger. Really? He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. How could you say that about him? I want that to be my testimony. And so I need to make sure that I have the heart of Christ, even when confronting people with their sin, because love, kindness, and authentic Christianity draws unbelievers to Jesus. Nobody's ever came to Jesus because they got shouted down by uh, somebody standing on the corner with a megaphone. Nobody's ever came to Jesus because they saw some sign uh, that says, God hates sinners. <laughs> There's a... There's a guy several years ago when uh, Thatcher and I ran the, the Great Aloha Run. And if you've never run the Great Aloha Run, it's a blast if you like running, which I hate. Uh, but you start at Aloha Tower and you finish at Aloha Stadium. It's like a, a seven, eight-mile run, something like that. And right as you get up that, that hill over by, once you go past Pearl Harbor on the left-hand side, you get up that hill going down to the, the stadium there. At the bus stop, there was a guy two years in a row had a big, huge sign on it that said, Turn or Burn. And it had a Bible verse on the bottom of it. And I thought to myself, people could be confused thinking like, if you don't turn around here, like this is the turnaround point in the race, you're going to burn like down the road. But, but then I realized, it's got a Bible verse at the bottom, which nobody knew. You know, it was Revelation chapter 20. <laughs> it talks about the great white throne judgment. And I thought to myself, I don't really know that that's the best way to communicate truth to people. I didn't see anybody stop by and say, hey, what does that sign mean, Turner Burn? Could you explain to me the, the love of Christ and the depravity of mankind? I didn't see anybody do that. I don't know if that's the best way. I, I much prefer the way that Jesus did. He sat down with a woman who was living in an adulterous relationship with another man. He sat down at the well with her and he says, hey, do you have something that I could drink? I'd like to share something with you that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again for the rest of your life. And he began to share with her the gospel. I much appreciate that approach than shouting people down. It's important to know, too, that when we talk about people that are living a homosexual lifestyle or have homosexual tendencies, please understand that these are real people. Look, I would be foolish to think that there's not someone in our church that is here this morning, seated in this room, that does not struggle with homosexual tendencies or struggle in, in homosexuality. These are real people. This is not a movement. This is not those weirdos out in San Francisco. This is not those weirdos at that parade once a year. These are men and women, boys and girls that have given their lives over to idolatry, have been blinded by Satan, and who Jesus loves deeply. Let's not marginalize them. Let's not criticize them. Let's not be ugly towards them. These are real people. And some of you are here this morning and hearing a message like this stirs up some emotion in you because someone that you know and love deeply struggles with this sin of homosexuality, maybe in a homosexual relationship, maybe in a homosexual marriage, and somebody you know, and you don't know how to resolve these two. Yeah, the Bible says it's wrong, but they're my family. Yeah, the Bible says it's wrong, but they're actually really good people. That's why we got to look at these people as individuals that Jesus died for. Sometimes, I think I'm a pretty funny guy. My wife doesn't think I'm very funny, uh, but... She, she, she was, a couple of weeks ago, she was wearing a shirt. It was a, a, had black uh, horizontal stripes on it. 
And I said, hey, I like your shirt. She was like, oh, thanks. I said, you look like the Hamburglar. <laughs> See, I, I thought it was funny, right? You think it's funny. My wife did not think it was funny at all. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, you know what she said to me later? She said, babe, that wasn't funny. It was actually kind of hurtful. And I was like, oh. I felt like a jerk. Let me help you with something. Making fun of homosexuals is not funny. It's hurtful. Calling homosexual slurs, it's not funny. It's hurtful. Making light of something that the Bible says is sin, it's not funny. It's shameful. Look, the gospel is already offensive. Jesus died for sinners and you're a sinner. And if you don't turn to Jesus, you'll die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Let's not add offensiveness where it doesn't need to be. Let's not make fun of or criticize people. Let's love and encourage them to find the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. That's what God commands us to do. And the church and the gospel are always places to find help for any sin that you face. Always. And look, if we are not the people that can help, who can? Well, I just don't know if two guys came in holding hands and sat down next to me. I don't know if I could sit next to them. Then you really need to check your heart. You have no problem sitting by, beside a guy and his girlfriend who are involved in a, a fornicating relationship, but you want to marginalize somebody else for a different type, type of sin because you place a stigma on it? That's not the heart of Christ. Hey, look, two guys come in holding hands in this church. I hope you love them and encourage them to, to know Jesus. I hope you show them compassion and hospitality, just like you would any other sinner that walks in off the street. That's the heart of Christ. And here's the thing. If these can't, people can't feel the love of Jesus from the body of Christ, where would they find it? Where? They're just going to say, oh, all Christians hate us, so we're going to go back to the people who love us. Or they'll find a fake version of Christianity that says you're loved despite your sin, and they'll find a home there but never hear the true gospel. Look, if we are the people with the answers, and the answers is the word of God, where else will they find help if they don't find it here? Where else will they feel loved if they don't feel it here? Where else will they, they know the love of Jesus if they don't learn it from you? Are you saying that the church is the only hope that our society has? No, Jesus said that. Any sin that anybody's struggling with, this is the place where you can find hope. So I just want to say this from the very beginning, because we're talking about this this Sunday, next Sunday, and the Sunday after it. It's heavy, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, but we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation about it. Because here's the thing, if you're struggling, I want you to know this, church, if you today are struggling with homosexuality, I am your pastor, I'm your friend, I want to help you. You don't have to feel shame. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to try to cover your sin. There is help for you at the cross of Jesus Christ, whatever you're dealing with. So get the help that you need. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, again, we're just going to summarize really quickly. Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, God's revealed his power and Godhead unto all men. Everybody's without excuse because they know that there is a God. He's revealed himself in all men. Verse number 21, they rejected God. They became foolish in their thinking and their heart was darkened. The light that John 1 says lights every man that comes into the world. They chose to not honor God, so they turned the light out in their own heart and their heart became dark. Verse 22 says that they thought they were wise, but they were actually fools. Verse number 23, they replaced God with idols. Verse number 24, God handed them over to their own sin. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to their own uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Again, if you're looking at Romans 1, verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. God says, you want your sin, you can hand it, have it. In verse 24, their idolatry dishonored their bodies. And they changed the truth of God into a lie. Verse number 24 is really powerful because it says that they dishonored their own bodies. 
Angela and I were up in the, the Bay Area this past week, and you talk about a place that is rampant with homosexuality in America. It's basically the capital of, of the LGBT movement. And when you look at things biblically, you see that this isn't just like two guys that like each other or two girls that, that are going against God's plan. You see that these people have dishonored their bodies. Because that's what Romans 1 says. Why? Because they took God out of his rightful place and they put themselves or their identity or their sexuality and put it in God's place. And God says, fine, you can have it. And then they dishonored their bodies by being involved in a relationship that the Bible calls unnatural. And so this is God's judgment on idolatry. And so we take a look at God's plan for human sexuality as outlined in the Bible. First of all, God created male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27. So God created man in his image. In the image God created he, them, him. Male and female created he, them. So according to the Bible, there are two genders, male and female, and they're assigned by God. So now, you want to take a look at what our society today, society says that gender is a social construct. It's, it's you know, that, that guys are supposed to wear, uh, you know, pants and women are supposed to wear dresses and that's that's all made up by society it's not what the bible says that that gender is a biblical construct identified by god himself now again the society that we're in today says that a doctor looked at you the day you were born and determined whether or not you would be male or female uh, and then based on that you know your parents and society put all this pressure on you to either wear a dress or wear pants or cut your hair short or grow your hair long or to play sports or to not play sports or play with Barbie dolls or play with Tonka trucks. And all that is society. They created this thing called gender, but gender actually isn't a thing. It's something we've made up. That's not what the Bible says. And again, it's important that as we walk through this, we're taking a look at biblical marriage and biblical sexuality. That's really important because we can't say things like we hold to traditional marriage or traditional gender norms because they're not based on tradition. They're not based on the way we've always done things. They're based on the Bible. So, well, do you hold a traditional view of marriage? I don't even know what that is. I know what a biblical view of marriage is. That I hold to. I don't know about tradition. Well, do you hold to the societal norm of genders? I don't know what the societal norm is. I do know what the Bible says, and I hold to what the Bible says. There's not 57 different genders. There's not 85 different types of genders. There are two genders, male and female. That's how God created us, period. Now, again, what about people who think differently? They can think whatever they want, but they need to understand what God has spoken. God's given us free will to believe and choose to do whatever we choose to do, but when you choose to go against the word of God, please understand you've chosen incorrectly. Next, God designed one man and one woman to be bound in marriage as a lifetime covenant. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So according to the Bible, marriage is between one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's God's plan for marriage. And so again, we're not holding to a traditional view of marriage. We're holding to a biblical view of marriage. Uh, you know, the, the state of Hawaii, before the Supreme Court came out, the state of Hawaii rallied around and, create, and passed a, a law saying that, to, uh, that gay marriage was allowed in the state of Hawaii before it was actually a national thing. And there's a, a group of pastors who were trying to get a bunch of people to go up to the Capitol with signs and, and to protest against this amendment to the state constitution and stuff like that. I was like, we're not getting involved in any of that. There's not. That's not our thing. And you say, well, well, don't you believe that in biblical marriage? 100%. But I also believe that you cannot legislate morality. And just because the law says it's legal or illegal doesn't change what the human heart wants to do. And please understand this. Sinners are going to sin. You can't get around that. I would much rather preach the gospel, share Jesus, teach people to live like Jesus than I would to try to go up to a capital and make signs and make people feel bad. That's not my thing. And so got passed at the national level then. What do we do? Do we flip out? Do we freak out? Do we call our senators? Do we, do we protest? No, we don't. Because you can't legislate morality. 
the laws of the land will always be in opposition to God's word. We have to stand for truth, though. Now, problem comes when people say we can't say the truth. Then we get into to difficult territory. And some people, again, ha- have asked, well, you know, my, my coworker at work is a guy, but he wants to be a woman. He wants to be called by a different name. What do I do with that? Hey, look, if, if some guy wants to be called PJ or whatever, I'll call you whatever you want. If your name's Timothy Jr. and you want to go by TJ, I'm not going to call you Timothy Jr. because that's what's on your birth certificate. Or we call TJ, I'll call you TJ. But when you ask me to call a man a woman, I can't do that. I can't lie. And again, if it comes to the point where I'm going to go to jail for telling the truth and not lying, I'm just going to have to tell the truth and not lie. And some of you are going to face that in your career at some point. You're going to have to take a guy and call him a woman and call him female pronouns. And and please understand, you're going to have to stand for truth or not at some point. Now, again, can I be loving? Can I be kind? Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I can't lie and say things that aren't true. And so, again, it's, it's a difficult position to be in. But I want you to understand, please get this. And this is going to be really important over the next couple of weeks, too. If you are against gay marriage or you believe that it's a sin, I hope you also believe that divorce is a sin. It's always funny people want to rail against gay marriage, but they want to get divorced and leave their spouse whenever they want to and stuff like that. Hey, look, that's a sin according to the Bible. If you're for biblical marriage, I hope you're in it for a covenant commitment between two people for the rest of their lives regardless of what happens. Uh, if If you believe that that gay marriage is a sin. I hope you also believe that adultery is a sin as well. I also hope you believe that premarital sex is a sin as well. Well, those, that hits a little bit too close to home, and so I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about, of course you do. It's always easier to talk about somebody else's sin than it is your own, always. So please understand this, Christian, talking to Christians today. If you want to say that you stand for the Bible, I hope you stand for all the Bible, not just the parts that are convenient. Because it's easy for us to, to rail against gay marriage. It's easy for us to rail against abortion. It's very difficult for me to look inside my own heart. And that's why I believe that Christianity has become labeled as hypocrisy and hypocritical. You know, again, when we say things like, well, well gay marriage isn't according to God's design, they want to say, well, 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. How's that working out for you guys? Hmm. What do you say to that? Am I bad? What's the answer to that? Well, yeah, well, it's God's design. Well, you guys don't follow that. Why should we have to follow what the Bible says? Oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. Again, if you're going to stand for right, stand for all of right, not just the parts that are convenient. The Bible says that any sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin, even in your thoughts. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Covetousness in the Ten Commandments even deals with adultery. Any man that committeth adultery with another man's wife should be put to death. The Bible also says that even a man that covets his neighbor's wife, covetousness is a sin, and it specifically says covet your neighbor's wife, thinking of your, your, of someone else that's not your spouse in a sexual way. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 27, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman with lust, after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus says, hey, it's not just that you don't engage in the act of sex outside of marriage. If you think a sexual thought, you've committed adultery already. That's sexual sin. The word fornication in the Bible is a kind of a blanket word that's used for any sexual sin. The Greek word is pornea, where we get our word pornography from. Any sex outside of the confines of marital, monogamal, monogamous covenant relationship, any sex or sexual activity outside of that is sin according to the Bible. Now again, it's easy to talk about people engaged in homosexual activity and look at that and go, oh, shame on those folks. It's a little bit different when the person's shaking the finger of someone who looks at pornography. You just become a hypocrite. Again, we've got to take the whole Bible. We can't just pick out everybody else's sins. We've got to look at our own sin. Your lustful thoughts that you have towards somebody, that inappropriate conversation that you had at work, those TV shows that you watch that are steeped in immorality, nudity, sexual themes, 
all that stuff fits in that blanket word of fornication. Premarital sex, fornication. Any sex outside of marriage, fornication. Pornography, fornication. Homosexual relationships, fornication. It's all in the same boat there together. So again, we need to look at the Bible for what it says. Paul again tells the church at Corinth, which is a wicked and vile church, rife with immorality and sexual uh, misconduct. He tells them, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication, run from it. For every sin that man doeth without the body, outside the body, he committeth fornication sins against his own body. And so Paul says fornication, bad, 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 bad. Young people, unmarried people, please understand this. Save yourself until the day that you get married to be with another person sexually. It's what the Bible commands. You say, well, I've already messed that up. Good, repent and don't ever do it again. And keep yourself sexually pure until the day that you're married. Well, none of my friends are doing that. I don't care what your friends are doing. Flee fornication. And again, this goes out to, to single, single folks and teenagers and stuff like that. You send a nude photo of yourself, it's out there and you can never get it back. It'll be out on the internet. It's stored on an iCloud somewhere. It's stored on a Dropbox somewhere. It's stored in somebody's Google Photos somewhere. You never get to get that back. Please, under no circumstances whatsoever, send any inappropriate photos to anybody ever, like ever, ever, because that's fornication. It's sexual sin. And so, again, we need to make sure that we guard our hearts against that because of what the Bible says about sexuality. Now, inside the boundaries of marriage, a husband having sex with his wife, one of the most beautiful things that God ever created. Once we take it outside of that, we take it and use it for a purpose that it was never intended. And again, because I am an equal opportunity rebuker, <laughs> I rebuke sin wherever it's found. Please understand that we, t we would sometimes hear people categorize they were in same-sex relationships as perverts. Right. I grew up in Kentucky. That was a common word for people that, that lived out. Like they, were, they were perverts or they were queers. But please understand, when you take something and use it for another purpose other than the way that God has intended it, you have perverted the use of that thing to use it for something that it was not made for. Pornography makes you a pervert, according to the Bible. Sex before marriage makes you a pervert according to the Bible because you take something for the use it was intended for and you change it for something else. Romans chapter 1, the women left the natural use for a woman and burned in their lust towards one another. Men with men, women with women. They took something and used it for a purpose that God never intended it. Why? Because they were idolaters. Again, Christian, before you start shaking your finger at anybody, which you shouldn't do to begin with, you better check your own heart first. When it comes to what Jesus had to say, Jesus affirmed that there were two genders which God had determined. He answered and said unto them, Have you not read? He which made them made them at the beginning male and female. So Jesus himself affirms the fact of what God has already said in the book of Genesis, that there are two genders, male and female. Jesus also affirms that marriage is between a man and a woman. Any other union is not marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 5. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Therefore, they're no more twain or two, but one flesh. That what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So Jesus agreed, marriage between a man and a woman, covenant relationship for life. So, according to the Bible, any union that's not between a man and a woman that have committed to themselves in a covenant relationship is not marriage. I talked to a man one, one time who says, you know, well, well, I've already married my, my husband. Are you saying that I should get divorced? I thought that God hated divorce. God hates divorce with every fiber of his being. But according to the Bible, you're not married to another guy. Because marriage is between a man and a woman. If you file paperwork to dissolve your marriage, that's not divorce according to the Bible because you were never biblically married to begin with. And so again, we got to think through this that Gay marriage, according to the Bible, is not a thing. It's not biblical marriage. Again, what our society constructs as marriage is something totally different. But according to the Bible, marriage is between a man and a woman. And please, again, understand, if you're against people of the same sex marrying, you should also be against divorce. 
You should also be against adultery. You should also be against separation and abandonment. All those things. Again, because that's what the Bible says. It's interesting, as I began to study for this, study through Romans, I've, man, I've been doing probably a year plus of study before I ever even got to the very first message that I preached. I knew we were coming up on Romans chapter one, so I was doing a lot of research on this passage of scripture and stuff like that. I came across this chart that I think you'll find interesting. It says the number of LGBTQ identifying adults is soaring like never before. People that were born before 1946, less than 1% identify as, as LGBTQ. Baby boomers, 46 to 64, uh, 1946 to 1964, born in that era, 2.6. Generation X, 65, 1965 through 1980, 4.2. Millennials, 10.5, those born in 1981 to 1996. Those born between 97 and 2003, which are identified as Generation Z, 20%. So from millennials to Generation Z, it doubles. And you look at that, that's one in five of people in the current generation identify as that. Now, I think there's a lot of things that, that factor into that for sure. I think it's become very popular today uh, to identify as such, even if you don't think that. I think, again, when we set God to the side on what the Bible says, we can do what we want anyways. There's no, not really any rules anymore anyhow. But I think one of the things that we fail to realize is that in a separate study, the Barna Group, now, now mind you, from millennials to Generation Z, we see a double, two-fold increase in that, right? Totally separate study done by the Barner Group in 2018 found that atheism doubles among Generation Z. That group at the top that doubled the amount of people that identify as such also doubled in those that believe in atheism. Now, somebody might look at this and say, well, what's the relation between the two? I would say to you, read Romans chapter 1. When we set aside God as being God and we place ourselves or some other creature up as the object of our worship, what is the end result of that? comes down to homosexuality. Romans 1 proves that out. We've chosen to leave God behind. And again, you saw the chart as it went from baby boomer generation, which would have been my parents up to the current day, and went from being a small fraction of the population into a quarter or more of the population, or almost a quarter of the population, one-fifth of the population. How did that happen? Because over the last 50 years, we've continued to push God and push God's word to the side and say, yeah, that doesn't really matter to me. That's not really all that important to me. We've encouraged a generation of children to do what's right for you. Do what's best for you. Parents have abdicated their responsibility to, to train their children in the ways of God's word. And we said things like, baby, all I want is for you to be happy. Hey, do whatever makes you happy. Well, I know if I tell you to do this, you won't be happy, so you don't have to do this. People say, oh, my kids don't like coming to church. What should I do? My kids don't like eating anything green. What do I tell them to do? Eat it anyways. I know what's best for you. Why? Because we have a responsibility to train our children. And so again, there's a direct correlation from those who identify as LGBTQ and those who don't believe in God. There's a direct connection between the two of those. God says in Romans chapter 1 that homosexuality is dishonoring him while at the same time dishonoring your own body and your own self. Again, as we walked through San Francisco and it seemed like every other couple that we came to was a LGBTQ couple and it's always interesting to me see, to see guys who are dressed up like girls and girls who are dressed up like guys holding hands with one another. It's just like, you guys want to be in a relationship but you want to be the opposite of what God created you to be. Just For me, it's confusing. But I think for them, it's confusing as well. Because they're openly showing that they're dishonoring their body by living the truth that they've created for themselves. Now again, no judgment. I'm not against these people. I'm not looking down my nose at these people. When I see them, my heart breaks for them because this is someone's son. This is someone's daughter. And somewhere along the, the lines, the parents more than likely probably failed them somewhere. But God says, 
this is dishonorable. Not only to God himself, but you've dishonored yourself by doing this. Now, what does that mean for you and I? That means that we're not allowed to honor, celebrate, or condone that which God deems dishonorable. Look, we'll never have a pride flag flying out the front of our church because we can't celebrate what God has already said is dishonorable. We just can't. We can't celebrate it. We can't condone it. We can't clap for it because God says it's dishonorable. Now, again, there's athletes who have paid the price because they won't have the gay pride logo on their uniform. There's people who have lost their jobs and people who haven't gotten promoted because they refuse to toe the line of celebrating that which God calls sin. I mean, you're going to be considered a bigot if you don't go to the company's gay pride walk that they have and you don't wear the, the shirt for the, the month of June. But as a Christian, we cannot celebrate that which God calls sin. So, people have asked before, would you, a friend or family member, some people have asked me, their own, their own children, getting married to a person of the same sex, would you go to the wedding? I can't with a good conscience celebrate that which God says is dishonorable. I just can't. God calls it a sin. I can't go and say that I'm happy for you because I'm not happy for you. I'm grieved for you. I'm not happy that you found somebody to spend the rest of your life with because you've chosen a path of idolatry, which I know how it ends for you. Now, again, because I'm an equal opportunity rebuker, I'm not going to go to a wedding of a saved man and an unsaved woman either. The Bible says, not, be, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can't, Christians can't marry non-Christians according to the Bible. I can't be happy for you when you choose to disobey God's word. Now, there's a couple of unsafe folks at the, the gym that I go to. That they got married. Man, I bought them a KitchenAid mixer and, and gave them an invitation to church. Man, I'm happy for you. I hope you find Jesus because sinners are going to sin. But when you have a Christian who marries an unsafe person or someone who goes against the Bible and does that which the Bible calls dishonorable, I can't celebrate it. I can't be happy for you. And I can't say that it's okay. We were driving through... Uh, the uh, Bay Area, the city of Morgan Hill. If I hadn't seen this with my own eyes, uh, it's a terrible photo because I, I snapped it off the, shot, the side of a car. The photo of a United Methodist Church there in town with the cross and the, the burning flames on the side, which is supposed to represent the Holy Spirit according to the United Methodist Church in rainbow colors. And it says, God does not discriminate, all are welcome. I'm just going to tell you, God discriminates. Not against gay or straight, God discriminates against saved or unsaved. True Christ followers are idolaters. God does discriminate. Now, are all welcome here at Huicala? Absolutely. Every single person that we let in the door here today is a sinner, desperately in need of God's grace. All are welcome. But friend, I cannot con condone sin and say that it's okay. Get this for just a second. If we say as a church that your sin is okay, God's not going to judge your sin, and you don't have to change, that is the anti-gospel. It's the opposite of what the gospel says. The gospel says God will judge your sin. You will go to hell because of your sin. And you must change and repent and give your life to Jesus to be saved from your sin. To condone sin is the opposite of the gospel. I can't do that. What I can do is I can share truth and a lot of love and a lot of grace. Hey, I'm not against you. I'm for you. If you've chosen to sin against God, that's between you and God. But I want you to know that there's a better way. Jesus died for your sins. God loves you. He's willing to make a way for you to go to heaven the same way he made a way for me to go to heaven. I struggle with sin, but God delivers me from my sin on a day-to-day -day basis. And God wants to do the same thing for you. There's a lot of grace and compassion that can go into that, but what I can't say is what you're doing is okay. So three final thoughts here today. First of all, we have to stand for truth even when it's uncomfortable. How many of you would have liked to have stood up here on a Sunday morning and talk about this? <laughs> Comfortable, right? No lie. I'm being honest. I've lost sleep over this message. 
what would have been really easy for me to, to do with this whole, whole message in Romans chapter 1? Hey, guys, read through the end of Romans chapter 1. You know what it talks about, right? And uh, next Sunday, we'll pick up in Romans chapter 2, all right? Because like, nobody really wants to talk about that. So we'll just, you read it. If you've got questions, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to answer them. But we're not going to talk about this because it's really uncomfortable, ridiculously uncomfortable for me. But I can't skirt the truth. I can't just leave it out. We can't just skip it and go on. We have to say what God says. Because, again, if you're in Romans chapter 1, back up to Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, and see what that says. Romans 1, 16. For I am not, what's the next word? Ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I can't be embarrassed from what the gospel says. I can't be embarrassed of what the Bible says. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's awkward. But it's God's word, not mine. It's not what I think or what I believe or what I think is right. It's about what God's word says is true. Next, we have to stand for all truth of the Bible, even if it contradicts our lifestyle, and we have to walk in repentance. Look, we're not a single-issue church, and we never will be. I despise abortion. Every fiber of my being. You cannot read the Bible as a Bible-believing Christian and say that you think it's okay to take the life of a child. You just can't. You can't be pro-choice and be a Christian according to the Bible. Simple as that. Everybody deserves to live. We give money. We pray for. We support pregnancy crisis centers that give people the gospel and try to save babies. But friend, we are not the anti-abortion church. It's not who we are. We're the pro-Jesus church. We're the pro-gospel church. We are not an anti-gay church, ever. We're the pro-gospel church. We're not the anti-pornography church. We're the pro-gospel church. We're not the anti-racism church. We're the pro-gospel church. We're not the anti-poverty church. We're the gospel church. We're not the anti-insert whatever you want to insert. That's not who we are. We love Jesus, we love the gospel, and we love people. That's who we are. And let me just tell you this, the gospel fixes all that. The gospel fixes human trafficking, the gospel fixes racism, the gospel fixes abortion, the gospel fixes homosexuality, the gospel fixes everything that ails us. And so we're just going to stand up here every single week of the world until the day that Jesus comes back for us and proclaim the gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and how he saves all of us from our sin because that's who Jesus is. And when it contradicts my lifestyle, I need to walk in repentance. When the, the, the word of God calls me out, I don't need to just say, yeah, 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 but what about those people over there? I need to say, hey, I've been wrong and I just want to be made right. And we've got to walk in repentance. And finally, we have to stand for truth, but by living a life that models humble, loving, authentic service to others. There was a, uh, a guy who came to our church, man, this has probably been six or seven years ago. I met him on a Sunday morning in the main lobby is when we were still in that auditorium over there, so it was a while back, and Met him and said, hey, how'd you find our church? He said, oh, me and my husband live across the street, like within, within like 10 seconds of meeting the guy. I said, hey, I'm really glad you're here. And we began to talk for a little bit and asked him what his background was and where he's from originally and stuff like that. We began to talk. And um, I said, man, I'm really glad that you're here. Let me introduce you to some other folks. He ended up sitting with one of, one of our guys in the church service. And I didn't say, oh, this is Bill, by the way. He's gay. <laughs> hey, man, I think you'd love to meet Bill. He's a great dude. Why don't you sit here with this guy and enjoy the service? Man, he came to the service, he, he began to, to sing during the, the songs, I mean, like sing with his whole heart, and a dude began to weep during some of the songs. Preaching, man, he hung on every word, he was writing stuff, he brought his Bible, he was taking notes in his Bible, writing stuff down. He left, I said, hey, I hope to see you back next Sunday, he says, I'll be here. I sent him a postcard that week, I sent him coffee in the mail, I sent him a daily devotional book that I thought would be helping encouragement to him, and I said, I hope to see you next Sunday, you might even want to come on Wednesday night for our Bible study. 
You invited him back? How else will he hear the gospel? Of course I invited him back. He came back. And um, same thing, man, crying through the song service, taking notes during the service. He left. He said, Pastor, I love this church. I said, man, me too, dude. Glad you're here. Came back the following Sunday, same thing. Crying during the song service, absolutely hanging on every word from the preaching. And he said afterwards, he's like, Pastor, do you have time this week where we can grab coffee? And man, I want to be a member of this church. I said, sure. And so we went to coffee. We began to talk. He began to tell me a story and stuff like that. I asked him his church background and went through the gospel with him. He, he professed salvation as as. As a child, he said he had been saved and born again and gone through some terrible things in life that I won't get into and, um, you know, came to the conclusion that he was gay. And I said, did you know that according to the Bible that homosexuality is a sin? And he goes, I don't know that anybody's ever told me that before. Oh, let me show you. So we opened up the Bible, Romans chapter 1 we went to. A couple other passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 we went to, talked about that, things like that. And so... He began to cry. I said, hey, man, what's up? Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. He's just like, I never knew it was actually in the Bible. Really? I didn't. He said, you know, my whole life, Christians have made fun of me. They've called me gay slurs. They've mocked me. They've put me down. He said, I've had people throw things at me spit towards me and he goes I've never had another Christian just sit across the table and open the Bible before and he goes and I don't know what to do with this because obviously I'm wrong yeah that's what the Bible says and he just began to weep and I said hey man I want you to know that I love you and he goes no 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 I know that already he goes I know that he goes I just don't know how to process through this and I said, well, I hope you'll be back this Sunday. And he goes, can I come back this Sunday? <laughs> Why not? He goes, well, obviously, I'm living in sin. And I said, do you really think you're the only person in our church living in sin? <laughs> really? He, goes, he was like, oh, I don't know. And he said, um, he said thank you. And, and, and we prayed, and he left and never came back. Angel and I were in Bed Bath and & Beyond, and over there smelling candles one day, and I turned around, and it was like him. He looked this close to me. I was like, dude, how's it going? He's like, oh, I'm my husband. I said, oh, man, great to meet you. I said, we'd love to have you guys come back to church. And he goes, I'd really like that, but I just don't think it's going to work for us. I said, I got it. I said, don't ever forget, you can always come back to Huicala anytime. And he said, I really appreciate that. Same time, there was a, another guy in our church that he said, hey, my supervisor at work is a woman married to another woman. Is it okay for us to have them over for dinner? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Well, I don't know. It's just, it might be awkward. What? Showing the love of Jesus to somebody's awkward? It shouldn't be. Somebody who obviously has shown by their lifestyle that they have replaced God with another God and have chosen to dishonor themselves, they're the prime candidates to have in your home. He said, well, I just don't know what my kids would think. You tell your kids, we're having people over that need to know Jesus. And your kids, get this, your kids will grow up and learn how to love sinners. This is a golden opportunity, man. And he's just like, I never thought of it that way. You know why? Here's what he said. I was raised in a church that taught us that these people are the enemy. What? That is not the gospel. And so I want to encourage you this week. Get your heart right. It's going to be hard over the next couple of weeks as we talk about this stuff, but we've got to make sure that our heart's right first. Again, I, I've been in churches before where, where the pastors from the pulpit would say hurtful, ugly things like, oh, all these queers and sodomites and stuff like that. Oh, heavens. That is so damaging to the cause of Christ. That's the opposite of biblical Christianity. That's not what Jesus would have done. So we're going to just kind of have a lot of love and grace as we go through this difficult passage. Again, I'm not foolish enough to believe that there's not somebody here today that hasn't struggled with same-sex attraction or even a homosexual lifestyle. I'm not that foolish. 
And if that's you, would you just come and talk to your pastor? I love you. There's no judgment. It'll stay between you and I. We can work through this, but the gospel is the hope that you have. For those of you that have family members who are given over to this lifestyle, what should your response be? Just a whole lot of love and a whole lot of grace. That's all. Because the majority of people have never met authentic Christians who live this way. But finally, I'm going to leave you with this. Make sure that your heart's right of your own sin. Really easy to pick apart other people's lives in the way that they live for their sin. Very difficult to look at ourselves in the mirror and find our own sin. But the Bible will help us with that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.